You are listening to Fresh Tracks Weekly. Just know that there's also a video portion to this podcast, uh, so you can check that out on Randy Newberg Hunter YouTube channel. It will be posted there every week. This is our first episode of something new we're trying. Right now, we're calling it The Morning Show. If you have a better name for it uh, after you hear what we're doing, you know, give us an idea in the comments. We're, we got to come up with a good name for this. Ideally, we just have Randy do this, but there's only so much Randy that can go around, so you're going to have to be stuck with me or whoever else is in the office for but a lot I, of these episodes. But. I don't have a degree in wildlife management like he does, so I would yeah, just so make it ago, up. so long ago, it's irrelevant. It's pretty much irrelevant. But yeah, we're basically going to do a, a show once a week to let you know what's going on. Going on in terms of what we as a crew have going on, what we're releasing on the internet, both on our paid subscription platform and on YouTube, and then also what's going on in uh, the world of news uh, related to hunters, conservation, wildlife, access, public lands, any of those things that we're interested in. I'm hoping that this can be an interactive thing where we get feedback from you, you let us know what you guys want to hear, what you want to see, um, what's going on in your state maybe. I fully expect this to evolve and we're going to figure out a format that works best for us. Maybe we'll do some of these live, I don't know. We're going to experiment, see how things go. So this week on Fresh Tracks Plus, which is our paid subscription platform, Randy did an application live stream. There's going to be more of those in the future. Check those out to see how that format works. You can comment and ask questions as he goes. Um, we're going to continue to do those. We're also releasing Bo Beatty, the Llama Man's Colorado Deer Hunt. Uh, that is going up, so check it out. On YouTube, we're releasing Randy's application strategy for Arizona, both elk and antelope. So check that out if you're interested in applying in Arizona, as well as Kirsten Beatty's Idaho elk hunt. It's a sweet hunt. You should check it out. Uh, really cool stuff there. There's some stuff that we filmed that never makes a, you know, a full episode, but Michael's been out celebrating his birthday on the river, doing a little fishing. Been out doing a little ice fishing myself, a little skiing. Dale was able to go on a mountain lion hunt and was successful. So yeah, all good stuff. So we're gonna dive into basically going through some headlines. Things that might affect hunters through policy changes, public land, wildlife, conservation. Um, basically, me perusing the internet, what I think uh, might be of interest uh, to hunters and then regurgitating it to you. So it's not that different than you Googling it, but you know, you get my curation of what I find interesting for what it's worth. Uh, and we're gonna try to keep it fairly uh, unbiased, just kind of state what's going on, maybe who's on either side of an issue, and just kind of go through some main headlines. We're not gonna dive too deep into most of the topics, but every week we will dive into one topic and go a little deeper, maybe state some opinions, uh, get Randy in on it and uh, figure out what's going on in that terms. In Virginia, there is a bill, SB8, going through the legislature that would allow hunting on Sundays on public land. Currently, you cannot hunt public land on Sundays in Virginia. As far as I can read, reading through several articles, most hunters support this bill. Uh, the main opposition is kind of an argument based in public safety, religious views, noise complaints on Sundays. Uh, it's probably just kind of a long-standing tradition, but most hunters support this. In Montana, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks is set to meet this Friday, February 4th, to vote on new proposals on hunting regulation changes. The initial proposal that was put out by Montana FWP was hit with immediate backlash. Uh, there was a lot of significant changes in the regulations, uh, but Director Hank Warsak immediately backtracked on those initial proposals and offered a less severe but 
also some pretty significant changes going forward. The public comment period has closed on this. It's been getting a lot of heat in Montana, so uh, it will be interesting to see how this meeting goes on February 4th. If you want to learn more about that, you can check out the podcast where Randy discusses this topic with the director of Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks on Hunt Talk Radio, the most recent episode. Also in Montana, wolves are making headlines. Uh, several Yellowstone wolves have ventured outside of the park and were legally taken by hunters. Uh, the Billings Gazette reported that over 100 businesses near Yellowstone National Park have formed a coalition urging Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks to reinstate a quota of wolves in the surrounding area around Yellowstone. Currently, wolf hunting and trapping are allowed in the state and hunters can take up to 10 wolves via hunting and 10 wolves via trapping. This coalition is arguing that allowing the liberalized harvest threatens businesses that rely on the revenue created by the tourism industry of all these tourists coming to view these wolves. This current hunting season, Yellowstone officials say that 15 wolves that roam in and outside of Yellowstone have been killed legally by hunters. So Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks current management plans manage wolves by region. The region in question is region three. The department recently got rid of the quota system for wolves and went to a harvest threshold. And the harvest threshold in this region is 82 wolves. So far, 74 wolves have been killed. So they're approaching that threshold. And the threshold doesn't necessarily mean that they have to end the season, but it means that they're gonna meet and discuss what they should do. So the commission preemptively met, they discussed what was happening, and they agreed once the harvest threshold is met, it will close down all harvest of wolves in region three for the season. Last November, the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife Commission had a tied vote on spring on the spring bear hunting season, which resulted in a cancellation of a previously long-standing bear hunt. This week, the topic was revisited by the commission after a change.org petition, along with a formal petition filed by numerous hunting groups, and they're going to discuss it further in the March meeting. There's also been a recent shuffling of commissioners in Washington within the department, which has led to some uncertainty with the sentiment is towards this bear hunting season. From what I can tell, Washington Wildlife First and the Humane Society of the United States, along with some members of the public, are pushing for the end of the black bear hunt, while the majority of hunters and Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife biologists support keeping the season. The Colorado legislature introduced a bill to prohibit hunting and trapping of bobcat, lynx, and mountain lion. This is from the legislature, not the Fish and Game Commission, but supporting it are groups like Animal Welfare Institute, the Center for Biological Diversity, Colorado Sierra Club, and the Humane Society of the United States. On the other side, you have the Sportsmen's Alliance, the Colorado Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, that are pointing out that Colorado Parks and Wildlife has been successfully managing these predator seasons for years using science-based decision-making. Several news agencies are reporting that this bill is losing support at the Capitol. However, it is scheduled to be considered in the Senate Agriculture and Natural Resources Committee on February 3rd. So in more fun news, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and the U.S. Forest Service worked together with the YT Timber Company to convey 1,040 acres of private land to the Lolo National Forest. So this previously checkerboarded public-private land will now be a contiguous chunk of public land that will safeguard public access and wildlife between these several mountain ranges. And these are the success stories that we like to hear. That's what caught my eye this week. Uh, just from perusing the internet via social media, various news wires, and uh, wildlife and conservation related news. Uh, if there's other things that we miss that we should cover, let us know. We want to hear about it. Put it down in the comments. For the first episode of our deeper dive segment where we're going to look into an issue a little bit further, we're going to talk about how there's kind of a drift away from science-based decision making and wildlife policy. So we're going to get Randy and talk about that. We have the thing called the North American Model of Wildlife Management, which is pretty well credited, uh, at least in the United States and Canada, for 
how we got back from almost extirpating a lot of species, right? I mean, would you agree on that? Like that's... I would say most everybody accepts that that was, it wasn't called a model at that time. It was only like 10 or 15 years ago that Shane Mahoney, Val Geist, and uh, John Organ put it like they defined the set of principles right exactly so we started with this and those principles have been applied for a long time and most people would say yeah that's what got us to this point of abundance gotcha yeah and so like i was trained as in fish and wildlife management that's what Mm -hmm. i went to college for and so we learned about the north american model and how there's seven tenants and basically like that's how we got to where we are Mm -hmm. and you know it's I feel like as a wildlife manager, it's very important that you, or that's, this is my like perception of mm-hmm. learning this is like, I, you I want, it. you want to follow these seven tenets. Mm-hmm. And one of those tenets is, and I'm quoting here, science is the proper tool for discharge of wildlife policy. Mm-hmm. Basically that we should make our, our wildlife management uh, decisions based on science, proper science, proper, you know, and that's obviously leaves a lot of room for interpretation, mm-hmm. but I guess my my worry is you start to see a lot of things, whether it's via a Fish and Wildlife Commission or the legislature or petitions, whatever it might be, that push us away from from science. And I'm going to always be biased because I was trained in it that I I like science and I and I like to make decisions based on in science. But mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, what it, you've been in this like realm of wildlife policy and stuff way longer than I have. What have, what have you seen? I, I have seen that a, a lot of things. Like, how much time do I have to go in this? As long as you want. And if I get in the ditch, you're going to pull me back sure, on try, the tracks? Sure, yeah. All right. So I think it's really easy for all of us to say, hey, I support science-based wildlife management. It, you know, it's kind of like mom and apple pie. Right. You know, who doesn't support that? But then we look at the behaviors and the actions of certain people and they start trying to pluck and pick and choose little bits and pieces that support what they want and it's not in the full context of what the science was conducted under or the whole system of ecosystems of habitats of whatever so they want to go find these little pieces so in the cpa world Mm -hmm. when when science is very often numbers and data and and you scientists love these charts and these regression models that i don't understand oh i don't either anymore for sure not that i haven't here's a saying in the cpa world figures lie and liars figure so what that means is you can go if you want to nitpick the data you can almost support any outcome and what I've, when you ask me what I've seen, yeah. I've seen nitpicking of data. Of cher- I should say cherry picking of data. People want to read a really good report, or really the results of a study, and they like the last third of it. They don't right. like the other two thirds that say, well, you got to understand there's this consequence and there's this and there's that. And n- none of this, anything as complicated as wildlife management doesn't happen as its own isolated little vacuums and a lot of people want to act like that is like that's the case and i'm going to go so far as to say sometimes we in the hunting community who want to hold up the banner of science-based wildlife management Mm -hmm. there's times i read and hear arguments that are doing some of that cherry picking 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's... Uh, well, you're already diving way deeper than I even was. Really? Well, you're, I, was, I, I I'm can retreat saying, if I'm you need me think, to. I almost like, in the broad context of, like, you see people not using science at all, where right. it's this complete mm -hmm. emotion-based decision-making. Let, let's and take so, the last election cycle, Colorado. Yeah. Reintroduce wolves. Right. Even though our friend Jim Heffelfinger has given us a lot of data of why there could be a lot of unintended consequences of that, how it could hurt the Mexican wolf recovery, mm -hmm. nobody did that analysis. It's just, hey, can we run a political campaign here? Can we raise enough money? Can mm -hmm. we get enough votes? And pfft, those are... Well, it's, yeah, and that's, I mean, the emotion-based stuff, I feel like a lot of time comes in the form of the what we call a charismatic megafauna, mm -hmm. right? which in North America, I feel like we have like, well, yeah, like the, the petty, is, warm and Yeah, something that's, you know, got forward facing eyes and it's pretty, <laughs> like bears, wolves, lions, Lion, the cats, you throw so. wild horses in there probably oh, if yeah. you wanted to, yeah. but like people think, I mean, borderline irrationally, or not mm -hmm. borderline, for sure irrationally, then they mm -hmm. think it's, I think they struggle to view wildlife on a population level yeah, or as a whole sure. ecosystem it's just like See. that one individual yeah. and like how are you you're doing harm to one individual and it's very difficult for them to comprehend like mm -hmm. that wildlife managers are looking at this whole system not right. the one wolf or the right. one bear and it's, i think that's where i think you get into a lot of trouble mm -hmm. and like but yeah you you go mm -hmm. into the into the weeds already i feel like but you're not you're but, right you're but see when you bring up a topic like wild horses Right. I think about this, the, you know, science-based. Well, those wild horses, feral horses, whatever people want to call them, you know, they aren't indigenous to the landscapes they currently occupy, even though some would say, oh, if you go back far enough, you know, before they went extinct, they, they were. Mm -hmm. But you think about the science part of that and you think about the individual versus the population, the herd. Mm -hmm. So we get people litigating that you shouldn't round up these horses because two of them died in the roundup last year. So it's about those two and not the fact that all the rest of them are slowly starving to death, destroying their habitat, blah, 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 blah. And damaging on countless other wildlife Right, species. all the native wildlife yeah. are suffering on account of it. So again, none of that really has wildlife science as the policy mechanism. We unfortunately get way outside this box that where science probably has its the greatest integrity or greatest adherence is when we let these decisions stay within the box of wildlife commissions, uh, you know, administrative rule by wildlife agencies, mm -hmm. stuff like that. But a lot of times these issues get taken over into the courts. Right. So a judge, you know, in the case in Nevada is going to issue a, an order, a cease and desist until further notice order that, you know, two horses did die last year and you have not proven beyond a reasonable doubt that this doesn't harm blah, 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 and that you haven't followed this rule. Well, this rule was passed by Congress. Congress are not wildlife scientists. Right. So a lot of our issues get pulled away from the comfortable boxes of relying on wildlife managers. Right, and another way that people do that is the ballot initiatives, right? Same kind of thing, where it's like, okay, well now we're doing ballot box biology instead of like people trained to, you know, understand this stuff, but. Mm -hmm. 
And judges don't understand it. Politicians don't understand it. I mean, I always say if you want a PhD in wildlife, I mean, you, you quit before you get your PhD. But if you want it, just get elected to the Montana legislature. Right. Right. In, well, instantly, a politician feels like they got a PhD in wildlife management and all this science-based stuff. Yeah. Oh, I got all that figured out. Right. I read it on Facebook. Yep. But then even within Fish and Wildlife Commissions, I mean, mm -hmm. generally, they are trained and have a better understanding of, of policy or wildlife policy, wildlife management, all the mm -hmm. stuff that you, to make decisions. But even within various commissions, you start to get people who aren't trained in it or they, right. you know, whatever background they came from, maybe they have a vested interest, but they're not trained in, right. in wildlife. Right. So when we have management. state statutes that say a wildlife commission, we had one that was in our legislative session last year. And yep. I, I will use examples from Montana because we're so familiar, but they apply everywhere. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, we're not unique in this. They said four of the seven commissioners must have a background in agriculture. Yep. Well, they're probably really good people. They probably understand agriculture and they probably have some wildlife that lives on their property. But do are they trained to lead and approve policy by an agency that under the North American model is supposed to, at least when we're operating in this box of wildlife policy, you're supposed to know this stuff. Right. And so we, we see these things, we see economic interests. Right, yeah, that's the, that's the other thing. I mean, some of the decisions are made purely from an economics perspective and mm -hmm. disregard the wildlife, which is like, mm -hmm. I, I get it, but then again, I have to like right. share my interest because I care about wildlife. I care about hunting. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm selfish. I want I want to be able to go out and shoot an elk every year. Right. But <laughs> so we live in a unique place. We live near Yellowstone Park, where bison come out of Yellowstone Park. Once they leave Yellowstone Park, they're considered livestock under Montana yeah. law. Okay. <laughs> By statute, we've said we're going to exempt this animal from management under the North American model by reclassifying it as livestock. Mm -hmm. So somehow when that bison crosses that park boundary, they shed their bison or their wild animal characteristics and they slip into this livestock characteristic. Yeah. So every time you get outside of this, I'm calling it a box, maybe it's a circle, I don't know. But we start losing the integrity of wildlife science as the basis for supporting wildlife policy. Yeah, and I mean, I think we gotta acknowledge like, you can't all, we'll never go strictly science-based. We're not gonna like, never. you know, here's the carrying capacity of this area and these are oh. how many animals can live there. Like, we, I think we, everyone's admitted that we can't do it that way. No. There's a lot of soci uh, sociological implications for every decision as well, so it's just, yep. but, when you veer so far away from it, that's when mm -hmm. I get I get nervous. Right. And it's just like, and so I, I I guess I like to try to advocate towards pushing it back in the in the direction of more science based decision making, mm -hmm. rather than yeah. emotional or economic decision making. Yeah. And of, of course, that takes it. I mean, we have to take it into account. But I, I'm going to give I'm gonna you to some <laughs> some history because you make me seem like the old guy. <laughs> So it used to be in Montana and in most other states that the Wildlife Commission hired the director. Gotcha. And the director worked for this commission. Yeah. 
he, he or she did not work for a governor as an appointee. So the political box, yep. there, was a, there was a pretty strong fence between wildlife policy and science and politics. Gotcha. Utah got so tired of ballot initiatives that they passed five or six years ago that says in order to have a ballot initiative that affects wildlife policy and takes this responsibility away from our agency requires a two-thirds majority vote instead of just a 50.1% vote. So we've seen this pendulum swing back and forth about how much credence, how much the authority, whatever you want to call it, we're going to give to the wildlife science. Yeah. But we have a society that's become more political, that places greater demands on the resource of wildlife, whether it's for economics, whether it's for their own personal, mm -hmm. that there's these outside forces that don't want to play in this box. Yeah. And that's where science really gets ignored. So I would say for any hunter, if you're asking me for a one-liner, <laughs> If you're a hunter, angler, and you believe in the North American model, think of your own positions and make sure you're not eroding that foundation yeah. by trying to make certain claims and either cherry picking the scientific data or ignoring it altogether just because, well, that's what I want. Yeah, we're often hypocrites, uh, for sure. I'm not immune from it at all. I know that I am. Uh, and I just try to catch myself when I, when I do it as yeah. well. But yeah, I guess as, like with a background in wildlife management, I guess I just find it, that's one of the disappointing things is a lot of my friends are wildlife biologists now. And then to, mm -hmm. to see and like knowing all the hard work that goes into a lot of, right. a lot of those positions and how much time and effort they spend counting animals and learning about the habitat and all this stuff just to be ignored and have right. the decisions made in, mm -hmm. in other arenas. And that's, that's the sad and disappointing right. part to me, but it's yeah. all this, yeah. One of those things that when your friends do this, they can talk about the science, but along comes citizens or politicians who say, let's put an objective in there. Objective is different than carrying capacity, different right. than everything yeah. else. So as quick as you say objective, mm -hmm. It's such an oxymoron because it's completely subjective. Yeah. There's nothing objective <laughs> about these objectives right. we apply and tell our scientists, oh, here's this subjective objective. Yeah. You, you got to consider that when you come up with your science. Yeah. And I mean, I think everyone acknowledges though, but there is a huge human uh, aspect yeah. to wildlife management. Like you, you're managing people mm -hmm. almost more than you are. The, the wildlife itself right like, but uh that's that's why yeah. i say we need a north american model of people management as it as it pertains to wildlife there you go there because you go. that would have more than seven tenants <laughs> it would have so many tenants that i i don't know it's i guess it's just a function of the times we live in but as someone who has the science background and now you've been involved in media and communications for yep. however long since you, you started doing these things. You asked me about what's behind us, you know, what little history, like the old graveyard yep. guy. What's over the horizon? What's, what's in the front windshield? Right. Yeah, and who knows? But I guess, you know, we as hunters can hopefully steer it in a direction we want to see. But yeah, I would, I time would. will tell. And uh, yeah. So... 
I hope Let's, I didn't. This is your first episode, Marcus. I hope I didn't completely. Oh, no. Ruin this is us. what I want it to be. It's like have these interesting discussions, and hopefully people will give us some ideas of what we can talk about. But So um, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm going to ask you uh, as a favor or as a requirement that now that we talked about this tenet of the North American model, there's another tenet called the public trust doctrine. Mm-hmm. And to a lot of people, I think that's just like this fuzzy. Yeah. And sure. so long as hunters and anglers don't understand that super well, we can't hold accountable the trustees who are supposed to represent us. Yeah. So I hope that you'll ask me, if you're ever going to ask me to come back on another one, oh. I hope it's that one because in my CPA life, all I did was trusts. Gotcha. I, I'm like, if I'm not good at many things, but if you want to nerd out on trusts and fiduciary duty and all this, I'm your guy. All right. Well, I think it's a good starting point to talk about the seven tenants because, they, mm-hmm. I mean, they are uh, kind of the basis of how we manage wildlife and yeah. how hunting works in yeah. most of the United States and Canada, too. So, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's fun topics. Hopefully we can continue this if people are interested in the show and um, hearing I'm, us sit I'm, here and talk about... I'm interested in it because, quite honestly, and you've seen this in all the content we're trying to produce for the next six months, is we got to make sure that our audience, hunting, anglers, whatever, that we understand this science stuff. And we're undertaking a really big effort to take complicated science and communicate it well. Yeah. So I'm, I'm all in. All right. Well... You got anything else you want to add for this week? Not that I can think of. You're in charge of what all the other important items are. I, I, I got some phone calls I got to return to Fish, Wildlife, and Parks commissioners right. here. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, Thanks, Marcus. Yeah. Appreciate you having me. All right. Thanks for being here.